Hey, Upper Room Dallas, Kevin here, and I'm so pumped that you jumped on to listen to this week's podcast. In this message, I get to share on one of my favorite things, and that is the love of the Father. Man, I've been so transformed by the Father's love, and specifically how, as we receive the dignity of our identity as sons and daughters, how that actually positions us and fuels our faith to receive some very specific things from Him as Father and just as powerfully to reflect him and his love in the world. And so my prayer is that as you listen, man, your faith is stirred, that your heart is filled with the Father's love for you, and that you are stirred to both receive from and reflect him in the world in the ways that you're uniquely designed to. So I bless you and enjoy this message. Thank you. Thank you. You guys look great, as always. The cool, thank you, Aaron knows me. Um, <laughs> this is like, um, is Urban Outfitters still cool? No? Oh, okay. Well, whatever the new Urban Outfitters is, is like, I feel like I'm there in a weird way. You guys are awesome. Um, <laughs> hey, quickly, I, <clears throat> I just, I wanted to um, give a little context for where we were in worship. And, you know, names in the Bible uh, were descriptive. You know, like we see remnants of that even in the names like last name Carpenter, right? Um, at one point, whoever started that name was actually a carpenter. And it was how people were identified. And biblically, sometimes the names are origin stories of um, conception or birth or prophetic promise. And so the beauty of the name of Jesus is that it's not just Jesus. It's his nature. His name is his character. And his name, the character of Jesus, his countenance, his kindness, the sufficiency of his power in and through us, these things are the tables set before us in the presence of our enemies. And his name being a tower is something we run into to find salvation. We don't apply the name to our problems. We subject our problems to the name of Jesus. And I think sometimes in our fervor, zeal without knowledge, we like scream, Jesus, you know, at the thing instead of bringing that thing to his feet so he can stomp on it. And it's subtle, but it's a, there's a difference. There is a difference. And so in that moment, we're elevating the stronghold of the name, not that shouting Jesus is what does it, but when he rests upon us, then he brings everything into submission under his feet. And that's really good news for us. Um, Man, I'm, I am excited to be here. I, um, I am, I am uh, tired, okay? I, my wife is a floral designer. She was out on business all week, and so I had our son at home alone. I have a crazy amount of compassion for any single parents in the room. My God, if you grew up with a single mom or dad, you call them after the service, and you bless them, because it is hard. It is early mornings, late nights. I got hardly any sleep. And, uh, and so I, I'm coming to you in weakness. And that's great news because God loves to use weakness. Um, but I was driving in this morning. I just think it's cute. I like doting on my son. 
and uh, <laughs> he could tell I was tired. I wasn't cranky, but, you know, I'm almost four. I turned 40 this year. Like, my face can't hide it as well as it used to in my 20s. Um, anyway, so he often goes, he's very, he's like a little empath, and I'll be like, Daddy, how you feeling? <laughs> so we're driving in, and he goes, Daddy, how you feeling? And uh, I was like, well, buddy, I'm tired. <laughs> you were up a lot last night, and I am feeling it. And out of nowhere, unprovoked, he just goes, um, dear Jesus, thank you for this day. <laughs> help daddy know that you're with him and if he's tired you can pick him up (laughs) it's so good but you know what that ministered to me because you know why well because it's cute and it was prayer and I'll take it from anyone but it blessed me so much because as I was reflecting on that I'm like that is my story Uh, my story is marked by so many times of God picking me up and, um, and so, um, you know, I, th- I think, <clears throat> well, if this is the first time that you've ever heard me share, I just like to keep it real. I hope to not offend or get too intense, but I just like to keep things very real because I, more than wanting to lead you to a moment, I want to equip you for life and godliness. I want you to, I want you to leave this place today having stepped further into the fullness that is afforded to you in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is what I care about. Goosebumps come and go, but there's an anchor for our soul and a substance to our faith that isn't something to chase, but something to abide in. I, you know, as cool as following a pillar of fire and smoke, i.e. Israel, Old Covenant, is... Um, we, are not, we are not those that chase a moment. I have been marked by encounters with God, crazy ones. If I told you some of them, you would think I was really weird, and I am really weird. Crazy stuff. Cra- I, I've had crazy encounters. I love encountering the Lord. <laughs> but, and, not but, and, and, In all of those encounters, I used to look at them wrongly. And I thought the encounter was the mountaintop. Encountering God is not a mountaintop. It is base camp. When we encounter the Lord, he pulls back the veil. He shows us what's real about himself and us. And he infuses faith for a journey. But here's the deal. The goal is to remain in those right now moments so that they become the substance of a long haul journey in God. (laughs) I will preach it. (laughs) As glorious as following pillars of fire and smoke and all that stuff was, it was an inferior covenant. We are part of a much more superior covenant, and it is a covenant of us in him and him in us to where the encounter, the goal is always to become the substance of faith that does not depart or leave. We apprehend the kingdom, and it becomes a territory that we not only can stand in unfazed by circumstance or the absence of feeling, 
but we can actually impart and release to those around us. Yay. So today, tonight, um, I, as much as I love, hold on. My mouth is dry. Uh, as much as I love um, encamping around the presence, as much as I love those moments <laughs> that we have when we're like, ah! you know, and just people come out with sticks and all sorts of weird stuff is happening and banners are everywhere and people are shaking and baking and I'm like, whoa. I love those moments. I'm not making a lot of them. Actually, they, I love it. Um, today is not a message about that. What I, what I hope to do is, um, is, to, mm, is to impart uh, an anchor for us. I want to talk about the root system for a life lived in God. I don't... Uh, I don't think any, I hope, unless you're like brand new to the faith, which if you are, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> it gets so good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, if, unless you're really new to the faith, I hope that nothing I say today is new information. I hope that it is familiar truth to you. But what my prayer is for us is that God himself would minister in our midst and that he, by his spirit, would somehow illuminate familiar things in new ways that are deeply transformative. We never graduate. I never want to hear from any of your mouths and if you hear it from mine, call me out. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. No, we can't say that in the kingdom. We're always knowing and knowing and knowing and getting to know. It is just glory to glory. It is deeper. We never we never get it. <laughs> we never get it. There's always more. And um, <clears throat> today, I want to talk about the more in terms of being children of God, specifically abiding in the truth that God is our Father. I want to talk about the Father's love, the presence of God um, as Father, because as I mentioned, um, my life has been so changed um, by being introduced to the Father um, by none other than Jesus himself over and over and over again. So um, let me pray. Pray with me, actually. Uh, if you would, if you're comfortable, just open your hands. It's just signaling to your soul you want to receive from the Lord. Father, we recognize your presence here. And we ask you to magnify it. We love you, Father. We are grateful that we have been given access to you. That we get to know your love and receive it. Father, would you manifest yourself among us today? Would you take the reins and reveal the glory of your fatherly heart to each and every one of us. Would you deliver us, Lord, from any 
notion, any proud notion that we get this. This is, yeah, your love, we got it. Lord, would you, we repent even of that kind of um, sad familiarity. And we say, tell us again what you're like. Tell us again how much you love us. Tell us again how good you are, Lord. Use words coming from this little tired mouth and rest upon them so that they would somehow, in the mystery of how you work, become life, spirit, and truth for those listening. Lord, have your way. Father, come. And if you would just tell him yourself, Father, come. Father, come. Amen. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, John 1. Off we go. Um, I want to... Um, John 1 kind of frames being children of God in a way that I think is really interesting. And I want to use it as kind of the entry point for how we can have confidence to, as Larissa says, pray with chutzpah. Remember those, that message when Larissa was talking about chutzpah? I think, it's, isn't it like a Jewish, Yiddish word? And it's like, chutzpah is like almost, you shouldn't say that. You know, it's like, it's like praying with such like drive and confidence and like, zeal, that it's almost like, whoa, too much, you know? Chutzpah is um, boldness, unapologetic boldness. And what I want to do is I want to use John 1 as a framework to empower you to be unapologetically bold in approaching the Father to receive some very specific things from him and to position you to reflect him in the world in some powerful ways. So here we go. John 1, uh, let's see, starting in verse, I'm in the ESV too, if, um, if that matters. Um, well, let's, let's start from the beginning, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Praise God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But, this is a glorious but, the best but, but, I just realized that sounded weird. <laughs> so, delete that, delete that from your mind. But, to all, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right. He gave the right to become 
children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jumping down to 16, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, inferior covenant. Grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ. If you in this room, those watching online, if you have received Jesus for who he is, Lord, Messiah, and Son of God, and believed, aka entrusted the full weight of your righteousness and future upon his care and provision, then you have the unapologetic right to the fullness of what it means to be a child of God. You have the right to apprehend, lay hold of, apply, and actually extend into the earth the full scope of what's been purchased for you in the blood of the Lamb. Now, before we move on into what that means in some very specific ways, <laughs> I want to clarify right. Because we're, people are talking a lot about rights right now. And biblical right is a little different than Facebook right. Okay? Okay. When in this country, especially, rights are oftentimes almost like synonymous with entitlements. A generation's being duped into thinking that they're owed something. <laughs> oh, gosh. A right in this context is not an entitlement. I want to say something, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. I love you, and I love Jesus, but God owes you nothing. He's promised you everything. But he owes you nothing. Things don't have to pan out how you want, when you want, the way you thought it wanted. We are clay, and he is a potter. He's creator. We're created things. He is good. We really don't know what that is, but we think we do. God owes us nothing. The word right here is less about what we're due and more about what we've been invited to fully participate in. The word is Greek, exosia. Say exosia. Exosia. So that word translated here as right is often, more often, translated in various other places as authority or um, power, empowerment, delegated power. In placing the full weight of your belief, your hope, your life on Jesus the Lord, what you get in return is the delega delegated power to fully embody and to receive with chutzpah the fullness of your identity as a son of God. This is really, really good news for us. Um, 
I want to hit on three distinct ways um, that we get to apprehend and lay hold of and are authorized in this delegated power to receive from the Father. Uh, And the first is this. You have divine permission, empowerment, invitation, and I would almost say expectation to receive the Father's delight. (laughs) Okay. You, me, we have divine permission, expectation, access, and confidence to be delighted in by God. What? Like, what? Say it again. You have permission, and it makes God happy to delight in you. We're part of a new covenant, and so we're familiar with this dispensation of grace that we live in. But the delight of God, living, abiding in the Father's delight, was not always the case for humanity. Zechariah, in Luke, I think, he busts out into this prophetic song when he finds out that Mary is carrying the Messiah. And he has this little phrase in it that just I think about often. And he says, praise be to God who's enabled us to worship him without fear in holiness all of our days. We had to approach God in fear because of sin. But now in the beloved, we can come confidently that what we find is not judgment, but joy. That the Father delights in you. Zephaniah 3.17. It's a familiar verse. You've probably seen it on a couple pillows. (laughs) You know those people. (laughs) It's like every coffee mug has to testify, you know? (laughs) Get it in where you can, you know? Zephaniah uh, 3.17. It's beautiful. Uh, I'll just read it quickly. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who saves. Thank you, God. He rejoices over you with gladness. (laughs) He quiets you with his love. He exalts over you with loud singing. He's not humming. He's like throwing down. He exalts over you with singing. In Psalm 32, I would propose this to you. It's probably horrible exegesis, but I feel it's true. Psalm 32 um, says that he surrounds us with songs of deliverance. And so I would propose, could it be that the sound (laughs) of the Father's delight over your life 
actually becomes the song of deliverance that sets you free. See, there is deliverance in delight. When we start to see God rightly as our father, listen, my son, he's almost four. He makes a lot of mistakes, he breaks stuff, and he pees on the wall. (laughs) None of these are necessarily character traits or habits that I endorse. But he is trying his best. When he asks for help, I love it. I love it. I love celebrating his best efforts. I love helping when he's in over his his head. I don't necessarily love cleaning up the messes, but I'm not God, so I don't have to love everything, you know? (laughs) But if that's true of me, and I know me, can you imagine what God's like and how hard of a time we put on ourselves when God actually enjoys delighting in being our Father? We think too much of ourselves. We think we're more capable than we are. You can't do the Christian life alone. It's, it's impossible. But we have a father and an advocate and a helper. <laughs> Thank God that we can come boldly before and find help in our time of need. And that help is almost offensive pleasure in the heart of God. I can tell you, if you have sin habits in your life, if you are kind of stuck in habitual sin, um, patterns of thinking, isolation, heaviness, um, you know, the five steps of freedom books and all those things, aren't gonna help you much. But if you can pull on and allow yourself to receive the delight of the Father, you will be set free. There's deliverance in his delight. He does not grow weary. It is not narcissistic or self-centered. It is actually the bread of life to come before God and say, would you tell me again? what you're like. Would you tell me again what you think about me? Would you speak words over me that are far better than I would ever say about myself because somehow you believe and see something in me that I can't? Would you tell me how much you love me and to refuse to budge from that place until he's doted on you? See, this is what the blood of Jesus purchased for us, just as Phil said, access to the one who delights in delighting. That can be a hard one if you grew up in a context or a home environment that was absent dad or cruddy dad. But it is the truth of God. He's far better than we realize, far better than we can even apprehend and know. When I started to realize, I remember so distinctly a moment of encountering the spirit of adoption. I saw it. I came to Upper Room, 2012, 
And um, I immediately jumped into a three-month discipleship program that we had at the time called the residency. And, um, and Michael Miller said, you know, uh, very first day, I want, I think it was Michael, it might have been Katie. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, somebody <laughs> said, uh, you know, I want you to pray and write down three things that you want God to accomplish in you, through you, reveal to you over these next three months. And we're going to hold him to, to these things. You know, we're really going to pray for one another. And I couldn't come up with three, but I could come up with two. I wanted to see his eyes of fire. <laughs> That's another story for another day. <laughs> And I want to encounter the spirit of sonship. I knew him as my Lord, but I longed to know him as my dad because I am one that did not have the best example or the strongest connection with a dad. And I can remember sitting in a prayer set early one morning, <clears throat> which were mandatory. Six a.m. sets were mandatory. And, uh, and, um, you know when God, by the spirit of revelation, pops the lid of your brain open <laughs> and your heart, and it's like something that you knew, you actually start to know. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it's like too much, and you like short circuit for a minute. You're like, how have I been saying this forever and never really actually gotten it till now? Like, whoa. And it was like that. And I realized, oh my gosh, the cross didn't make me tolerable to God. <laughs> the cross was an expression of his desire and choosing of me before the foundations of the world. That the cross expressed how much he delighted in me when there was nothing in me to delight in. It didn't make me tolerable. It testified to his delight. And when I realized that... <laughs> I grabbed the mic, and I don't, it was so funny. There, there were some people here this morning that were in that prayer set, and I was just like, God's not mad. He's not mad, he's not mad, he's not mad, he's not mad. Like, I was just like, whoa, you know, he's not mad. And we would all say that, yes, God's not mad, but it was so real. Oh, my gosh. In all that I've done, I've done some heinous stuff, man. I had a lot of issues still um, at that time, but God was not mad at me. Man. Oh, that changes, it set me free. It was the very fuel, that delight, that acceptance, that, that desire in God for me was the fuel that actually produced purity ever increasingly in my life. Trying to clean up myself for God wasn't working too good and I was just dull and angry and tired. And he was like, let me love you. Please, come on, stop trying to do it. You can't, that's the point. <clears throat> it's also, um, it's not just the delight of the Father to dote on you, to tell you how much he loves you, to affirm you, to encourage you, to speak tenderly to you, to give you compassion in your weakness, and grace in your need. But it's his delight, or in my interpretation in Luke, it makes God happy to give you the kingdom. And the kingdom is peace, righteousness, and joy. It's the Father's delight to not just love on you, 
but to actually empower you to release his delight into the world, to give you the kingdom so that when you show up places, <laughs> atmosphere shift. And someone in anxiety with racing thoughts suddenly can breathe for a minute. That someone with a heaviness feels not giggle joy, although that's great when that comes, but just that biblical, that calm delight, that, that sense of, ah, I'm loved and accepted. God picked me. That that can actually be expressed through our lives and imparted in situations and people. It makes God happy to give you his kingdom, to invite you. You have a right to release it. Praise God. So if you, this, well, not this morning, this evening, are stuck in some stuff, I want to pastor you um, and encourage you to, like a bull, just be tenacious, go after God's, God's delight. I said it this morning, I'll say it now. I was kind of surprised it came out of my mouth because uh, it could really offend some people. But when there are times when someone will come into my office or whatever, and they're like really exhausted from fighting a sin battle. Like they're trying really hard to stop sinning, you know? And um, <clears throat> they're beat down or whatever. And they come into my office because they want tools, tips, tricks to get free. And there's a time and a place for some of that. But oftentimes, I'm like, before we go there, you have an assignment. And your assignment is to do something that makes your heart come alive and invite God into it. You need to remember that the Christian life is not about regulating your behavior, becoming something, overcoming something. All that's already been done on your behalf. The Christian life is about fully receiving the satisfaction of soul that is ours in God. It's about pleasure. Listen, I don't, I know some of you are like, but wait, no, I don't agree with everything John Piper, you know, we have different theologies in some ways. But I agree wholeheartedly with what he says about the Christian life, and that is that God receives the most glory when we are most satisfied in him. I, I was told once, you know what has been so helpful for me in overcoming sin in some ways? Is whatever grows your affection for God makes you more aware of love, makes you more aware of his presence, more mindful of his nearness. It doesn't have to be something spiritual. It could be going to Uchi. That's mine. Um, <laughs> you know, it can be going on a nature hike, whatever. If it elevates your awareness of who he is and his coming kingdom, fill your life with it. If it dulls your awareness, makes you sluffy, makes your heart sluggish, and dull towards people and God, then cut it out as quickly and thoroughly as you can. The Christian life is about the fullness of pleasure. The world has hijacked it, but he's got it. And it's our right to apprehend it as his sons and daughters, the pleasures of his house. Okay, moving on. You have a right authorization and are empowered to participate in the Father's discipline. <laughs> 
Okay, so we start with delight. Because if we don't first receive the Father's delight, then we'll receive his discipline thinking it's about punishment. If it's true, and I would advocate that it is, that Jesus is the propitiation for our sin, that he bore in his flesh the full punishment of all of yours and my boo-boos, issues, hang-ups, disagreements, disunity, slanders, fill in the blank, then there is no more punishment for you. If you are in Christ, can't you feel it? Our flesh already starts to go like, yeah, but, but, we are unpunishable. That is not to minimize sin. It is to maximize the sacrifice of Christ. It is to maximize his atonement. When the Father disciplines us, he disciplines us as overflow from his delight. Why? Because he only disciplines what he knows will cut off and remove anything that hinders us from receiving the fullness of our inheritance as sons and daughters. If we don't start with delight, we'll not understand discipline. But once we get delight, we can, as Melissa Smith says, and I say now too, we learn to kiss the sword. I've learned to quickly agree when God gives me a hard assessment. I just go, you're right. What do I need to do? <laughs> I want to be one who kisses the sword that pierces and wounds because I know that God is only poking on some stuff that should have never been there in the first place. And if I'm not confident in his delight and joy, I can start to feel like he's after me. But man, when I've tasted his goodness, dudes, yield the sword, man. Come on, God. Father, father me. Give me a spanking. I need it, you know? <clears throat> the discipline of God is really, it is, it's entirely about um, us fully occupying freedom, being completely and totally free. Um, yeah. So I want to give you permission to fully participate in his discipline. You know, <clears throat> in this day and age, here's a word of caution a little bit, especially in an age of deconstruction and like everyone's got a pulpit now online through whatever social media you got. <clears throat> and... Um, there's a lot of confusion. There's a spirit of confusion about who the Lord is and what truth is, and there's just confusion. Um, thank you for the spirit that leads us into all truth and the counsel of the body of Christ that helps us discern it. But um, if God doesn't pretty consistently discipline you, now listen, not punishment, not clean up your act. Come on, pick yourself up. Stop doing that. That's not the Father's voice. I don't know what voice that is. That is not the voice of the Father. If that's what you've equated with discipline, repent. He does not speak like that. He can be firm. 
He's very direct, but he's kind. And he's for you. And he does not place anything on you that is ill-fitting or heavy. That he's not willing to empower you himself to accomplish. But if God, if your relationship with God, either by the scriptures or by the spirit, if you're not regularly, somewhat regularly, getting course corrected in your soul, then either you are way more sanctified than me, (laughs) which I doubt, Um, (laughs) or, no, I'm just kidding, or, or you're creating God in your own image. The discipline of the Lord is about seeing him and ourselves rightly. It's about seeing what's true, what's real. And if, if as you read the Bible, you kind of skip over the parts that you're like, don't like that bad. That was for that time in that church, you know, <laughs> those people. <laughs> um, or or you're, you're not regularly hearing the Lord Hey, Kev, why'd you say, why'd you respond in that way? You need to apologize. That's not who you are. I'm meek. You're inserting yourself. That doesn't look like me. And you're my son. If that's not happening, then God may have become quite small. And maybe he looks a little bit too much like you. And being his sons and daughters mean we get to look like him. The third right that we have as children of God is to receive the dignity of a new identity. Yes. Ah, I love it. As we abide in the delight and discipline of God, God's identity is formed and fashioned in us. And we begin to walk in dignity in this life. Not only ourselves, but we begin to dignify those around us. Dignity is a word of just value. It's worth. When we start to realize the extent in which God has gone to purchase us, to fill us, how committed he's been to shape us and transform us, how gracious, how kind, how compassionate, we start to see our value the value of the identity that he's placed. We start to get loosed from identifying with who we were, the patterns of behavior about who we were, the labels that we've placed on ourselves in different seasons. We also stop labeling other people, defining them by their actions, and we start to meet one another in mercy and truth and grace in a way that is completely otherly. We have the right to be dignified. I don't care what you've done, what happened last night, what's been done to you, what kind of filth has been in your life at one point or another. If you are in Christ, then the Father says that you are dignified. And see, here's the thing. As we grow, in the dignity of our identity as sons and daughters, things start to happen. Because all of a sudden, I can't go out to a 
a bar on Friday night and put out with a stranger because I know my value. And I'm not casting my pearls before swine. I'm not, I'm not this is not open shop. I'm not gonna just extend my stuff. I'm not, but I'm also not going to sit at home, like I told you, I like to be real, and exploit other people and binge on pornography because I know that they too, in the beloved, are dignified that they have value, that they just can't see. They don't know yet. They don't know who they belong to. And there's a dignity that actually informs my behavior, that it's not like, oh, I just can't, and I really wish I could. It's like, my God, no. That is that, is that kind of thinking, behavior, action, language. That is beneath me, not because I'm superior, but because God has raised me up and put me in Christ. My life is hidden in Christ, in God. He has given everything to me. The Father who delights in me, I, why, I, no, it, it doesn't even compute. Dignity in our identity, the right that we have to be dignified is all about not only our own transformation, but being positioned as agents of transformation in the world. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is extending the gospel. It is bringing dignity and the value of the Father's house into every situation that we're in. At line at Whole Foods, working with sex trafficking victims, feeding the homeless, disciplining our child, loving our spouse or roommate. <clears throat> dignity doesn't puff up. Knowing our identity as sons and daughters is actually the very confidence that enables us to become servants without being slaves to people-pleasing. I don't know, I don't know if I can. I, <laughs> sometimes these things come out of my mouth and I'm like, whoa, that, where'd that come from? <clears throat> Standing in the dignity of our identity um, <laughs> the dignity of our identity is our, um, as sons and daughters, knowing that we have the full acceptance of God, that God is just tickled pink with me. Like, I know it. I know it. I know it. I know. And just can close my eyes and feel it. It's actually what gives me the confidence to throw my life away. To become a servant. To loosen my grip on having to arrive and become and get to. See, here's the thing. We receive the promises of God as children. He comes in a moment. He releases an invitation, a prophetic promise. He tells you about a ministry or, an, you know, you're going to, make a ton of money and fund kingdom initiatives and we get this glimpse of his plans and purposes for our life and we receive those things as children just going, really? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. But then, if we don't stand in the dignity and grow in our identity as sons and daughters, we start to pursue the promise not as children but as orphans. 
And we start to think that this thing that God spoke is now up to me to accomplish. And so I've got to figure out how do I build my TikTok empire and who do I need to get to know at the church so that I can get close to that guy? And how do I, how do I kind of, I want to operate in integrity, but I kind of want to bypass this ladder here and climb it so I can make more money and I could do that. And, I, and all of a sudden we start to white knuckle to get someplace and God's like, no, 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 no. The same way you started is the same way you finish. And it's the same way you go every single day. And it's grace through faith. Grace through faith. Grace through faith. Listen, you can't get to where he's told you you're gonna go. And the more you try, the further you're gonna get someplace else. It might look similar, but let me tell you, it's not gonna be the same. Because where he's called us, called you, is beyond your ability to ascertain. But if we can pursue the promises of God as sons and daughters of God, not as orphans, then we can know that even if it appears like he told me I was going to take over the world, and now all of a sudden I got a demotion at work and my girlfriend dumped me. That's different. (laughs) That doesn't make sense. Even the demotion becomes useful. Because I know that God, as my Father, is not using me to accomplish something. He's actually imparting his nature in me in the process so that when I step into, I am free from. Man, I am so thankful. Sometimes real frustrated by, but I am so thankful for the prayer of these two people right here when I first met them, and they were like, listen... (laughs) They don't talk like that, actually. (laughs) They're like, sometimes, actually, you do. They're like, listen, we're committed to praying something for you. And I'm like, praise God, please do. They're like, we are going to pray that you do not receive premature inheritance. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) part of me was like, I don't think I even know what that means. Um, I was like, I'm praying that my parents don't die early, too. I don't know. You know, I didn't get it. I understood now what it means. And I am so grateful. I am so grateful that God in his mercy has kept me free from me. And it's cost a lot. It has cost a lot. But every season of demotion, hardship, suffering has produced something in me and is and is doing the same in you that is actually a superior work than the actual outworking of it. And it's that you look like God. And that's the point. Man, young people, I'm like, I turned 40 in October, so I can start saying stuff like that. Young people, all you young people, I still dress like I'm 19, but that's just, I'm trying, man. I'm just trying to hold on as long as I can. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I know it can seem so overwhelming. The questions, the battles, the when will I, and you know, things feel like they're a really big deal. If you will loosen your grip on needing to know, and you can contend and strive to enter into the rest that the one who started it will complete it. And all the energy being utilized 
to strive and panic your way into the promise is redirected into knowing the Father, your life will change. You'll be free. And let me tell you, I've, I've been able to experience quite a few promises that God spoke in my early 20s. And oddly enough, when you get there, you're like, that's it? Like, that was it? My gosh, I'd spent so much time, like, when I, and that, that, that was it, you know? I think it was cool, but it didn't satisfy me. <clears throat> okay. Um, so, to recap so far, you have the right. You have the right to receive the Father's delight, discipline, and dignity in your identity. When you're feeling anything contrary, man, press in to him. The fruit of a life that is conformed by the Father's love um, has a couple outworking things that I want to hit on quickly. And the first is that you are going to be at rest. And when I say rest, I don't mean a lack of activity or laziness. I mean your insides are going to be quiet. (laughs) If there are two things that are pretty much um, non-existent in the world and sadly are rare even in the church, it is consistent, untethered to circumstance, joy, and peace. <clears throat> you can't manufacture biblical joy. It's not based on your circumstance. It's also not based on your emotion. It's not the giggles, although it can involve giggles. It is the calm delight of knowing to whom you belong and knowing that it's not up to you <laughs> to know that you have somebody on your side who's greater than I. Peace that's untethered to circumstance, that even when stuff is blowing up and you are in the thick of it, that there is a settledness, a hope that is unaffected on the inside. It's not in denial of what is happening, but it's superior to what's happening. The world can't touch these things They can't manufacture these things. These are only kingdom things. They are otherworldly. And rest is the container for joy and peace. But rest is also the overflow of what the whole point of the thing is. It's the, not the overflow, it's the wellspring from which overflows the point. And that is love. Listen, Zeal without knowledge is dangerous. You guys doing okay? Good. I know it's 7.02. I'm not going to keep you super late. Zeal without knowledge is dangerous. Um, Especially in settings like this, um, I want to tell you the truth. And as thankful as I am for the kooky, crazy encounters that I've had, the revelations that I've had, the experiences, 
None of those things, the power that I've walked in, none of those things equate spiritual maturity. I don't care how spiritual something seems. Just because it seems spiritual doesn't mean it's mature. (laughs) I am talking real. If Moses sits at the end of your bed and tells you secrets at night, that's awesome. (laughs) But that's not maturity. (laughs) And it's not advancement in the kingdom. Heaven's not a ladder that you climb. There was one that ascended and descended down the ladder. (laughs) I know I'm coming heavy, but it's like, listen, I, especially young, zealous, it's like, we get really excited about these otherly things, and I love it. Like, I shake, and I twitch, and I prophesy, and I have weird dreams and experiences in the night. I, it happens to me. I'm weird. Like, my wife had to ask God to stop doing weird stuff to me when we first got married because she was like, God freaks me out. <laughs> I was like, don't pray that prayer. No, don't take that from me. <laughs> She's like, I'm not ready. Um, I'm not diminishing it, but I am placing it in its proper order. Because the scripture says that all that stuff you can do, but if you don't have love, it's freaking nothing. The gold standard (laughs) barometer of growth in the kingdom, growth in God, is love. Selfless, giving, pure, otherly, godly love. It starts with him. It spills out to one another. It eventually finds its way into the hands of our enemies. But let me tell you, you can pick up Facebook. I don't have any social media, but I'm sure this is true still because it was when I got off of it. You can pick up Facebook and there's all sorts of words and teachings and things that seem really like mature and like, wow, how deep and man, but it is filled with stuff that is not love. (laughs) And so it's immature. I, listen, I... If we can't look back over our life as we've journeyed with the Father and, sh- and be able to, yeah, I hate this language because it sounds clinical almost, but be able to chart our growth in love, I don't, I don't know, who are you following? Remaining in his love, remember what I said at the beginning, the goal is to remain in what we encounter so that it actually becomes the substance for the long haul of a lifestyle. We get to have the right as children of God to abide in and express the Father's love. This is costly and holy and supernatural, and it really does begin here. First John says, if you say you love God but hate your brother, you're a liar. God's not in you. I wanna, I wanna extend a, um, a challenge to you for a 
a practice space for growing in love. <laughs> this, is not, this is not as important as what we talked about before, which is you need to receive delight, discipline, and identity just like I do. That's the main takeaway. But as you do, I want to give you a context, a little container to start growing in love. And the container is hospitality. Came out of left field, right? You're like, what? <laughs> hospitality. Now, that word in American culture, um, you know, we think like Julia Child <laughs> and like nameplates. Uh, that's not hospitality. That's entertaining, which is super awesome. I love it. That's great. Um, hospitality is far more holy. The power of connecting around your table, it's untapped, man. We're looking oftentimes to the church to create programs around the table. And we can help serve that. But as sons and daughters, I have the right to extend my family beyond my own biology. I have the right to expand my house beyond its four walls. I actually have the right to partner with the spirit of adoption by looking out and bringing people, sons and daughters, some who may not know or may have forgotten who they belong to and whose family they're a part of into my family so that they can remember so that they can see. We have the right to practice radical hospitality for the sake of love. First Peter 4. That can sound like a lot, you know, for people with families and young kids. It's like, oh my gosh, what a buzzkill drain. Like, I have people in the house. I got to clean the house. I was talking with Peter Lewis about this um, just last week, and uh, he has a lot of people over um, every week, and they break bread. They eat. They're human beings. They talk about life. They celebrate. They may worship. At some point, they're going to talk about truth. And um, he said something to me. They have five kids and a pretty small house <laughs> and a lot of people in the house once a week. And um, he was like, man, I think it's, is it Tuesday nights? He's like, Tuesday nights is the easiest night of the week for our family. And I was like, really? He's like, oh, yeah, man. Um, when you start opening your home up, you're not entertaining. The pressure's not on you. You're actually creating a space for love to be multiplied. And he was like, I'm pouring into these people. They're pouring into us. They're putting our kids to bed. They're cleaning up dishes. They're... And something in me was like, <laughs> that sounds amazing. I mean, we, my wife and I have people over in our house a ton. So we, we actually, this is not something we don't do. We practice hospitality a lot. Um, but I was like, man, we're made for this. What happens on Tuesdays at Peter Lewis's house and hopefully other houses represented by faces in this room is a glimpse of the age to come. It is a glimpse of the age to come. When you gather around a table with believers, you are prophesying that death does not win and that sorrow has an end by date and that perfect, perfect unity is going to rule the planet. This environment is awesome. 
But man, the power of your table as a framework for love. So I want to encourage you, if you're a young single, um, you don't have to wait till you're married. <laughs> um, grab some friends and say, hey, we're going to meet once a month. Start, start small. And we're going to invite people. We're going to have an open door policy. And share a meal. Make it potluck. You know, if you're waiting for Upper Room to provide small group ministry for you, you may be waiting longer than you like. And listen, I know it can be hard to get connected here because people are driving in from Timbuktu and you're spread out everywhere and it's crazy. I, and I'm sorry. I really am. I hate it. I hate it. And we are trying. Really, we are trying really hard to figure out solutions and it, we really are. It's a frequent conversation. But what is stopping you from starting? You have the right, i.e. permission, to build family around your table together. It can start immediately after this service. You can just grab some people and say, you guys got dinner plans. Go out to eat. It's really that simple. If we don't give context for love to multiply, it doesn't. <laughs> It's got to outflow somewhere, you know? So I want to give you a very practical, like, I challenge you. Do it once. Just do it once and see. And invite the Lord in. Invite some people. Eat a meal. Laugh a little. And talk about God. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, if you'd stand with me, I want to close out. Um, the ministry team can come up if we can get some keys going. <clears throat> Wherever. Um, and I want to invite you if um, specifically I felt to, to um, you can respond however you feel, but I want to um, invite you to respond in two specific ways. Uh, one is, again, if you are struggling um, in some way, and you're just heavy man, and uh, I want to encourage you to not leave here without tapping into the delight of God. I want to invite you to come either up or grab some people around you and say, would you pray with me for the Father to lavish his love on me, to remind me I need to hear it, prophesy, come into agreement together. Let's, let's be his mouthpiece in affirming one another. Um, but if you... If you um, if the part resonated a little bit about um, the hospitality piece, I want to encourage you to receive some strategy. I really, um, if, if this can begin, this one little message can begin an outworking of a wave of grace for this community that's birthed from the Father's heart and expressing itself in hospitality, stuff is going to start changing here. Not just in realms of connection and community, but the places that we'll get to go and worship are going to get deeper and broader. Because the Lord rests on unity and there's a commanded blessing there. And so if you're feeling like, man, I want to partner with the spirit of adoption. I just don't know how to do that. Then I want to invite you. You can stay in your seat. And, um, but receive strategy. Leave with a, with a plan from heaven on how to begin doing that and maybe who to start with. Cool? 
Let's, let me pray for us. So, Father, <laughs> we love you. I pray for ears to hear those weary ones in the room and watching that need to hear your delight, your joy, your affirmation. Lord, would you release word now? Spirit of God, would you administer the Father's delight into our heart? The delight he has in Jesus that he freely gives to us. Would you awaken our senses to discern, to sense that nearness? Father, we invite you to continue to discipline us. We ask you for it. We cry out with the very words of David, search us, try us, see if there's any wayward thing in us and lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Search us, Spirit of God. Father, discipline us. We know that you love us. You can have access and speak to anything as long as you give us grace to yield to it. And we know that you will. And finally, Father, would you impart to us not only strategy but empowerment to begin to expand, to not wait on someone or something else, but to actually co-labor with you to see heaven come in our homes. Lord, that love would be multiplied among us. God, that you would divinely orchestrate connections even in this room tonight, that friendships and a bond of unity and love would somehow be expanded. Lord, that you promised that you would place the lonely into families. And so we hear the invitation. God, would you empower us by your nature within us to embody that kind of radical welcome. Where people can just be people together in the presence of God. It's nothing fancy, complicated. It's just life lived together in him through all its ups and downs help us lord make us your family help us reflect your nature